Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He is a chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the legal aspects of drug legalization. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. He'll be joining us as well. It is December the 28th, and on this day in 1895, the world's first commercial movie screening took place at the Grand Café in Paris. The film was made by Louis and Auguste Luminaire, uh, two French brothers who developed a camera projector called the Cinematography. The uh, Luminaire brothers uh, unveiled their invention to the public in March 1895 with a brief film showing workers leaving the Luminaire factory. On December the 28th, the entrepreneurial siblings screened a series of short scenes from everyday French life and charged admission for the first time. Movie technology had its roots in the earlier 1830s when Joseph Plateau of Belgium and Simon Sampfer of Austria simultaneously developed a device called the phenakistoscope, which incorporated a spinning disc with slots through which a series of drawings could be viewed, creating the effect of a single moving image. The phenakistoscope, considered the precursor of the modern movie picture, was followed by decades of advances in the 1890s. Thomas Jefferson and his assistant William Dixon developed the first moving uh, motion picture camera called the kinescograph. The next year, 1891, Edison developed the kinescope, a machine with a peephole, a viewer that could allow one person to watch a film strip at a time. In 1894, Louis Luminaire is the follower of, follower of uh, Auguste and Louis, saw a demonstration of Edison's uh, invention. The elder Luminaire was impressed, but reportedly told his sons who ran a successful photographic plate factory in Lyon, France, they could come up with something even better. Louis Luminaire's uh, invention, which was patented in 1895, was a combination of a movie camera and projector that could display moving images on a screen for an audience. Uh, The cinematography was... uh, also smaller, lighter, and used less film than the Edison's technology. Luminaires opened the theater, known as the Cinemas, in 1896 to show their work and set crews of cameramen around the world to screen films and shoot new material. In America, the film industry quickly took off. In 1896, Vitascope Hall, believed to be the very first movie theater in the United States, devoted its showing movies, opened in uh, New Orleans, in 1909, the New York Times published its first film review, uh, and in uh, 1911, the first Hollywood film studio opened. In 1914, Charlie Chaplin made his first big-screen debut. In addition to the uh, these element, uh, uh, inventions, the Luminaires also developed first practical color photography process, autochrome plate, which de- debuted in 1907. Now, mind you, this is to me this is amazing stuff because think about this. This is only about 115 years ago 
that all this occurred and think how far we've come in terms of uh in terms of science and development and what's happened with regard to inventions here in the United States and abroad. It's been amazing. The recently revealed censorship that plagued Twitter in the recent years is criminal, according to a former White House COVID advisor, Dr. Scott Atlas, who was reviled and just treated so badly when he was working with the president, as it allowed lies to be imposed on the public during a pandemic that wrought untold damage worldwide. When correct science policy is blocked, people die, and people died from the censorship. Atlas, a special coronavirus advisor during the Trump administration, said in an interview, Atlas was speaking days after Elon Musk, the first owner of Twitter, the new owner of Twitter, released troves of internal files showing how the previous Twitter team built a blacklist to develop disfavored tweets visibility within the knowledge of those using the platform. Among those flagged was uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford, whose tweet criticized Criticizing pandemic lockdown shortly after the, uh, joining the platform last August got him on the trends blacklist, preventing the amplification of his tweets. But such revelations, Atlas said, are only the tip of the iceberg. There's a far larger story here that we need to hear, he said, which he, when he considers far more nefarious and more systemic than isolated tweets being pulled down. There seems to be criminal behavior, and I think it needs to be investigated in the courts, he said. I totally agree with him. And what happened is just such a shame in terms that we have this new technology, and we've allowed it to censor uh, the public and uh, repress important information from science. In fact, Dr. Peter McCulloch, uh, pre-pandemic myocarditis, four cases in a million. Now, this is a tweet that he said, now with administered, pro- uh, administered products, 25,000 cases per million on shot two or three, and he's talking about, of course, the, uh, the vaccine. This is unacceptable. Dr. McCulloch tweeted, from four to 25,000 cases per million as a result. Now, we don't know if there's a cause and effect here, but there certainly appear, appears to be a cause and effect. And we know that uh, there are people who've died and uh, getting unacceptable symptoms from the virus or from the vaccine. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's administration allegedly sent three bus loads full of criminal non-citizens to Vice President Kamala Harris's residence over the weekend. This is a small reminder of the ongoing crisis faced by Americans in the border towns beleaguered by multitudes of illegal aliens. Was not well received. The White House denounced the move, suggesting it served only to put lives in danger. Well, no, I would suggest it also... Uh, continues to amplify the story that all Americans must Americans must be aware of, and if, unfortunately, the mainstream media is repressing the story and talking about other things. Three buses contained approximately 130 of the 465,034 criminal non-citizens who have illegally entered the country so far in fiscal year 2022 rolled up to Harris's Washington residence at the Naval Observatory on Christmas Eve. The passengers reportedly hailed from Ecuador, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Peru, and Colombia. Harris, who was previously stressed the need to be welcoming to illegal aliens, apparently did not invite the criminal non-citizens inside despite the 15-degree weather. CNN reported that two busloads were taken to local shelters. Other illegal aliens were given blankets to put on another bus headed to our local church. White House spokesperson Abdullah Hasan 
stated Governor Abbott abandoned children on the side of the road in below freezing temperatures on Christmas Eve without coordinating with any federal or local authorities. I can't believe that a person could say that when, in fact, these people are are freezing down at the border. Hasten uh, characterized this latest effort to transport illegal aliens to a sanctuary city and others like it as political games that accomplish nothing and only put lives in danger. Well, of course, it does accomplish something. It amplifies the message about what's going on at the border. The White House spokesperson uh, further claimed that Biden's administration, which has seen over 5 million illegal aliens enter into the country un- under its watch, is willing to put work with anyone, Republican or Democrat alike, on real solutions like the comprehensive immigration reform and border security measures President Biden sent to Congress on his first day in office. I mean, the real solution is just go back to Trump's policies. Everything was working then. It's all broken down. It's because of Biden's policies. Notwithstanding the Biden administration's alleged commitment to work on real solutions, Biden has provided foreign nationals with incentives to illegally enter the country, such as health care, an end to detentions of illegal border crossers, and an end to deportations and amnesty, uh, extra to to seeking to lift the Trump-era Title II uh, 42 policy. Abbott has not yet claimed a responsibility for sending the buses to Harris's doorstep. However, the governor did reiterate on December the 20th that the Lone Star State will continue busing migrants to sanctuary cities. The governor's uh, spokesperson, Renee Ease, apparently appeared to confirm that Abbott was behind the Christmas time delivery, noting that the illegal aliens willingly chose to go to Washington on Saturday. Uh, the White House is full of a bunch of hypocrites led by the hypocrite in chief who has been flying plane loads of migrants across the country, oftentimes in the cover of night, said Ease. As for the uh, criminal non-citizens who turned up at Harris's house, Ease noted that there had been uh, signed a voluntary consent waiver available in multiple languages upon boarding that they agreed to the destination and they were processed and released by the federal government who are dumping these them at historic levels in Texas border towns like El Paso. I mean, they're out laying in the streets in El Paso, which recently declared a state of emergency because of the Biden-made crisis. Instead of the hypocritical complaints about Texas providing much-needed relief to our overrun and overwhelmed border communities, President Biden and border czar Harris uh, need to step up and do the uh, jobs to secure the border, something they continue to fail to do, said Ease. Despite the White House's accusation of cruelty, Abbott has underscored that the responsibility of the humanitarian crisis lies with the Biden administration. Uh, Abbott sent a letter to Biden on December 20th demanding that he deploy federal assets to address the dire border crisis as a dangerously cold polar vortex moved into Texas. This is a terrible crisis for border communities in Texas. It's a catastrophe of your own making, wrote uh, Abbott. These communities and the state's and the state are ill-equipped to do the job assigned to the federal government, house the thousands of migrants flooding into the country every day with perilous temperatures moving into the area. Um, Many of these migrants are at risk of freezing to death on the city streets. They need to address the crisis. It's not the job of the border states like Texas. Abbott added that uh, you must execute the duties of the U.S. Constitution. It mandates you to perform and secure the southern border before more innocent lives are lost. It's absolutely right about that. In the meantime, one uh, nonprofit aid, illegal aliens, uh, had indicated to the buses that busing is not the worst uh, way to go forward. 
This is Tatiana Laborde, the managing director of SAMU. First response told CNN that if properly done, busing criminal non-citizens to sanctuary cities could help ease the tensions at the uh, southern border. So uh, this is an ongoing story, of course. Uh, we'll, we'll watch how this all turns out. Uh, but uh, in my opinion, certainly... Uh, they they turned out to not freeze to death on the street, so they ended up going to shelters. Uh, but in the meantime, it brings attention to this badly needed issue that the the president right now is abdicating responsibility for for taking care of the border. He's not doing. He's purposely letting uh, criminal aliens into the United States, and now there's been about five million of them so far this year. It's just our, in the last two years in his administration, unbelievable. Well, the Supreme Court on Tuesday ordered that a COVID-19-era immigration order remain in place. Thank you, Supreme Court. Title 42 is an order allowing border authorities to swiftly deport migrants if they hail from a country known to communicate or host a communicable disease such as COVID-19. The states contend they face an immigration crisis at the border and policymakers have failed to agree on adequate measures to address it, the rule reads. The only means... Left to um, uh, mitigate the crisis, the state suggests, is an order from the court directing the federal government to continue the COVID-19 Title 42 policies as long as possible, at least during the uh, pendency of our review. Today, the court supplies such an order. Uh, Great relief. Thank you, Supreme Court, for coming up with a a note of uh, sanity in an otherwise what seems to be uh, insane uh, Capitol Hill This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, uh, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending private property, free markets, individual liberty, and limited government. <clears throat> C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you so much, Bob. So it's been a while since we've talked about drug legalization, a kind of controversial issue in the United States, coming, becoming less controversial, however. Uh, is there a constitutional argument that we might have a right to smoke marijuana? I think it's interesting to look at these two different cases. Case one was Race versus Gonzalez, where a sick lady claimed that she had a fundamental right to use medical marijuana in California, where it was legal, and she had a doctor's order. And the Court of Appeals characterized the right as the use of marijuana for medical purposes. And with that characterization, Miss Race lost the case. Huh. Why? Because the court determined that medical marijuana is not a fundamental right. A fundamental right is a right that has to be required for ordered liberty or deeply rooted in our traditions. And the right to smoke marijuana for medical purposes wasn't that <clears throat> type of right. If the court had adopted racist characterization of the right that is the liberty to pursue a less painful life, she would probably have won the case huh. because the right would have qualified as fundamental. There's a a useful contrasting case in Texas, Lawrence versus Texas. The Supreme Court overturned a Texas regulation that criminalized homosexual sodomy. And the state lost that case because the court characterized the regulation broadly. It said it was barring a relationship that's within the liberty of persons to choose without being punished as criminals. So the court, if the court had said the case was simply about gay sex, the right would have not been deemed fundamental. And if you ask yourself which characterization is correct, in a sense, they're both right. Mm -hmm. A court can rule how it wishes based simply 
on how broadly it characterizes the right. That is so interesting. So is there a constitutional authority for the feds to regulate marijuana? Well, in the Raich case, uh, Ms. Raich did not have a fundamental right, as I mentioned. And, but that still left uh, a second question. Where in the Constitution is the federal government empowered to regulate medical marijuana? And the answer, according to the government, was the federal power to regulate interstate commerce. Sort of a <clears throat> catch-all provision that regulate anything and everything. Mm -hmm. The Commerce Clause was originally intended to stop the states from interfering with free trade, as they had done under the Articles of Confederation, imposing tariffs, you know, on, on goods flowing between, let's say, Maryland and Virginia. Um, but in this case, Justice Stevens, for a 6-3 court, held that the Controlled Substances Act is a legitimate exercise of the Commerce Clause, the power to regulate interstate commerce. And that's because six patients in California that used this homegrown marijuana under a doctor's prescription might have had a substantial effect on the interstate market for marijuana, a market, by the way, that is not supposed to exist and for which there is a criminal remedy if it did exist. So a preposterous decision, but nonetheless, it is the law of the land at the moment. So does uh, Fed criminalization trump uh, state legalization? Yes. If uh, federal and state law are in conflict, and then the Constitution's supremacy clause says that the federal law trumps. But there are two qualifications to that. There was a case in 1992 where the Supreme Court held that Congress cannot order a state to enact state regulations that meet a particular federal goal. And there was a 1997 case where the court held that Congress cannot commandeer state law enforcement officials to do gun background checks on would-be handgun purchasers. So here's what those two cases mean. Even though federal laws trump, the states cannot be compelled to enforce those laws. In other words, if the feds want the laws enforced and the state doesn't consent, the feds have to use their own enforcement officials. The states do not have to cooperate, although they cannot go so far as to impede the federal authorities from enforcing federal law. You know, Bobby, what's ironic about this entire thing right now is there are laws in the books suggesting that marijuana is illegal, but the feds decided they're not going to enforce them. So we've kind of been living in this uh, uh, land of uh, confusion here, but uh, states are proceeding. What are your thoughts? Yeah, under Obama, he pretty much decided that because of scarce resources and priorities, that the uh, federal law, the Controlled Substances Act, that includes marijuana as an illegal substance, uh, would not be enforced. The feds had a lot of other things to do than send their officials into states where smoking marijuana was, in fact, legal. So marijuana, marijuana was not a, a federally enforced infraction. And uh, under the next administration, the Trump administration, and under the Biden administration, there hasn't been much pickup in federal enforcement of marijuana. But it is technically still a crime. And in many states, it's still illegal. And the states do enforce the law. Yeah. So can you tell us about the Portugal experience? 
Yeah, back in 2001, Portugal decriminalized um, all drugs. And by the way, including cocaine and heroin. Uh, so they were the only EU country to do that. Possession and use of the drugs were administrative violations and not crimes. Trafficking remained a crime. So that was a problem in itself, you know, because basically <clears throat> if you had increased demand because the drugs were legal and you didn't have increased supply because trafficking was illegal, that would mean higher prices, which would be contrary to what the country was trying to accomplish. But nonetheless, decriminalization became very popular, and there's been no demand in Portugal to re-criminalize. And since legalization... Uh, the drug use there has declined across all age groups, and overdose deaths have plummeted um, <clears throat> the, among the lowest in the EU. By comparison, the U.S. rate um, was huge compared to Portugal's. Uh, Portugal's drug-related HIV infections also were almost completely eliminated, and the number of people arrested for criminal drug offenses declined to over 60%. And that allowed Portugal to channel money toward more effective uh, treatment programs. There's a lesson there that we should certainly learn. Uh, we certainly should. I understand, and this could be apocryphal, but uh, we used to be able to buy cocaine at the uh, Montgomery Ward catalog <laughs> because it would help, It served for, for our good health. The addiction rate at that time was about 4%, and now after the war on drug, the addiction rate is... About 4%. So yeah, I mean, we're moving in the right direction. Our bigger problem now, of course, is the fentanyl and the, and the uh, serious overdoses that come from adulterated uh, heroin. And, right. of course, one reason we have that is because there's no legal market in the heroin. And <clears throat> as a result, people go to the black market and they obtain uh, products that they can't attest to the quality. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, frankly, that's that's been the root cause of this uh, overdose problem. It's mischaracterized by the press frequently as prescriptions, uh, physicians running rampant, you know, over-prescribing over drugs. But in fact, that is not uh, the source of most of the overdose problems. The source is dealing on the black market for drugs that are illegal, that yeah. wouldn't be illegal if we had a rational drug policy in this country. Bob Levy again, Chairman Emeritus of the uh, Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, I want to pick up on this topic uh, in, next week. Uh, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're uh, providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So we typically start start our conversations on Wednesday morning with good news. Do you have some good news for us? I, I have a little bit of good news, and I'd like to talk about it. Let me, first of all, wish you and your listeners a happy New Year. And thanks to Nancy Pelosi, for those that celebrate it, I wish a happy Schwanza, <laughs> which I think is just, I don't know if you picked up her comment. I, I did. But, uh, she mispronounced Kwanzaa as Schwanza, you know, without even taking a, missing a beat. So uh, an amazing, amazing woman. Glad to see her moving on. That's probably a good news story right there. Well, but, and in fact, you, you might comment that uh, I think she just hit the bottle a little early for, when she made this comment. Well, I, I'm beginning to think we've never really seen her sober, and that's, that's more to the point. So, you know, I think her natural personality is one of in, being inebriated. But l- let's not get really nasty at the end of the year here, I mean, at least for me at least. I'll try to stay on the, on the good side of the, on the, on, of the ledger. But the Supreme Court has ruled that Title 42 will stay in place a little bit longer, and I think that's, uh, that's good news. I, uh, I think it's a, a temporary reprieve, so to speak, from the, uh, from the incredible uh, influx of immigration that will take place as a result. Uh, it should be noted that Gorsuch voted against maintaining Title 42, which can be used to highlight the fact that um, even though I disagree with Gorsuch's uh, position on this, uh, it shows that those judges that are described as being conservative and locked in and uh, you know just uh, knee-jerk in terms of their positioning, they will interpret things in, a, in their own unique manner. Uh, Gorsuch voted against it because he thought the government had no role in sustaining edicts that were not part of the original ruling, in, in fact. So... Um, I, I disagree with that, but, but essentially I understand Gorsuch's constitutional positioning on that. Um, if we look at some other stories, not good news, but I think they're worth noting. Uh, if we look at the, uh, what seems to be an incredible level of looting that took place in, in Buffalo during the, uh, the blizzard of the century, as, as Hochul called it, um, it just to me highlights that um, 
barbarism and chaos is only a a, a minor weather event away from us, Bob. So uh, these type of situations, I think, highlight the fragility of civilization and, and should always be kept in mind as we go forward that uh, it can disintegrate immediately. If a snowstorm can do it, certainly there are other events that could, that could bring, the, bring that on. Um, one other story before I get into other things, uh, the House and Ways Committee, uh, Means Committee, uh, are going to release Trump's tax returns on Friday. Uh, they may, in fact, make those returns uh, public. Uh, I've never quite understood the constitutionality of doing that. It seems to be a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment, uh, where citizens are protected from unreasonable search and seizures, which includes their papers. Um, so they're using precedent from Nixon forward as the basis for releasing these. Uh, and the, the validation of it is only an IRS internal position, nothing to do with constitutionality. So uh, I've never quite understood that. There's a significant difference between uh, a man like Trump's tax returns uh, as compared to a man like uh, Obama, who essentially never worked a day in his life, or Biden, who's worked almost exclusively for government, at least legally in uh, the, the monarchist sense. So this is a, I think, is going to be uh, something that'll uh, fill our time and our headlines and our media assessments uh, probably for the next six months, just talking about uh, Trump's tax returns. So let me just stop there and see if you have any comments in regards to any of those things. Yeah, well, I, I'll say this about the Supreme Court. I mean, t to me, it's a little bit of a stretch to uh, extend Title 42, uh, in my opinion, just from a constitutional standpoint. I get what Gorsuch was saying, but sometimes we want things that are expedient and helpful to the situation. So, in, fa in fact, we saw that with the Jap Japanese incarceration dur during World War II. It wasn't legal. Uh, but uh, I think many at the time, many of us thought, oh, this is probably a good idea because we don't know who the enemy is and they could be right here in our border, these Japanese citizens. And it was that was an atrocious thing that happened. It was so unconstitutional. So, I mean, I, I get, I, I'm happy that we extended Title 42, but I do get Gorsh's uh, uh, hesitation about extending the Constitution for expediency. I think what Gorsuch would say, if I could put words in his mouth, is that uh, if what you're saying is true, and it is true, obviously, Bob, uh, that effectively this should be should have been legislated by the Congress, uh, and it should not have been left in the hands of the Supreme Court uh, to extend the right. uh, the Title Four. 42 health mandate uh, as a basis for controlling the border. Um, and I, I see the logic to that. I do understand the logic you're, uh, you're bringing to play. Um, but again, and, and perhaps Gorsuch was right. This, the Congress should, in fact, have acted on the issues uh, as you described them, Bob. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Andy. So, you know, we've, we're just ending uh, 2022. We're going into 2023. And I just appreciate uh, getting your comments as uh, as we take a look at the back, backdrop for uh, 2022, what are your thoughts and expectations about 2023? Well, I put together a, a few of the things that I think are, are defendable in terms of projections as compared to the things I just make up in the, in the quiet of night. Uh, I think the GOP House will disappoint us in 2023, yeah. uh, based on the fact that already the polls are are showing extreme levels of negative directed towards that incoming Republican House. I think they will uh, uh, act on, on, that, uh, on those polls and the negativity of those polls. 
Uh, I think they will not bring uh, obvious law-breaking uh, circumstances to the uh, to the uh, committee level. Uh, I think they'll do nothing to indict the uh, previous law lawbreakers. Uh, I think they will do nothing to help ensure legal elections. Uh, so again, I'm. I'm my position would be as a projection that the GOP House will disappoint us going into 2023. I hope I'm wrong, of course. Um, well, based on inductive, based on inductive reasoning, uh, of course, that's always been the case. <laughs> and I'm sure I'd, I'd be very disappointed. When you said that, I'm very disappointed because at a minimum, I would hope that uh, we would shed light through these committees and subcommittees, shed light on the uh, illegality of many of the things that have been going on. I mean, I just think about the recent uh, drops on uh, Twitter, the Twitter drops that have been so outrageous in terms of violating our constitutional rights. And uh, we've, you know, literally, we've descended into becoming a banana public when it comes to free speech and some of our other natural rights. So uh, there's a lot of fodder out there to work with. And uh, my hope is the House will, will pick up the uh, pick up the baton and run with it. I, I hope they do this. Of course, of course will include the uh, a dramatic uh, investigation of the FBI's role in uh, in censorship, which is obviously unconstitutional. Um, I, I just have doubts that they're willing to uh, directly confront the FBI's role in this, which is critical to the analysis. Um, and I hope I'm wrong. I uh, I've been. Uh, I think I've been unduly optimistic in the past as it pertains to uh, uh, GOP takeovers of the House and Senate or Senate, um, and so I'm, I'm not optimistic about 2023. But, again, it's one of these things that I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I think illegal immigration will increase, of course. That's not a difficult projection. Uh, but I do project that DACA will be awarded citizenship uh, with the inclusion of their extended families, uh, and I see this as part of a larger border commitment. I think the negotiation will be uh, the allowance for uh, DACA, approximately 2 million uh, people in the DACA category, uh, with the allowance for their families, probably a total uh, of 10 million uh, people, and they will be granted uh, clear pass to citizenship. That's that's my projection. I see that uh, on the table right now. All right. Uh, so, uh, Andy, you know, right now I want to take just a little bit of a break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do 
you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. By the way, it's uh, Kristen Corey's birthday. She's the producer, artistic director, and founder of Golf Shore Playhouse. I hope you get tickets and find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, t- let's continue our conversation about expectations for 2023. What are your thoughts? Well, as uh, I think it was Casey Stengel said, predictions are very hard to make, especially about the future. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. But I, but I think what I'm offering you, Bob, are things that are derived from where we stand at this moment. So they're, they're more than just uh, blank, blank projections. I think there'll be a negotiated settlement in Ukraine during 2023. Uh, I'm basing this on the fact that Putin has recently announced that he is completely open uh, to these type of negotiations. Uh, apparently, Netanyahu in Israel has been asked, uh, I'm not sure the degree of that, has been asked to negotiate a peace settlement between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, and so th- these are on the table at this point. Putin's openness and Netanyahu's possible involvement as a negotiator. Hmm. Uh, the way I would project the settlement is the Donbass region will become independent, not ceded directly to Russia. I think Crimea will be acknowledged as being within Russian sovereignty, and Russia will agree to pay huge war indemnities uh, to, uh, to Ukraine uh, as a part of the settlement. That, that's my projection. Uh, some of that, much of that, I would say, is based on current circumstances, Bob. Yeah, well, the uh, devil's in the details, of course, when it comes to these negotiated settlements, but I, I hope you're right because this ongoing conflict is dangerous, number one, and number two, it is, uh, it's uh, very detrimental to the societies and in, in both cases. I mean, we're, we're seeing lives lost for, in my opinion, no reason. Well, the, the whole involvement of the uh, the United States in this situation is such a direct violation of, of basic foreign policy positions that have always been part of the American package, always in, in terms of up to the last 50 years at least, uh, avoiding foreign entanglements, not making your decisions dependent on the actions of a foreign government. As we're seeing now with the actions of Ukraine, uh, we are in fact... Uh, in an obligatory position uh, to Ukraine's decisions as it pertains to fighting the war uh, with Russia. And uh, I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do necessarily. I, I am saying it's uh, typically a, a, a reversal of where American foreign policy has been at its best, of avoiding these foreign entanglements. 
Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But I think there will be a significant action uh, in, in Ukraine in 2023. In terms of the omnibus, omnibus bill, um, that horror show that we're seeing now, $1.8 trillion, it has over 3,000 Democrat earmarks in it, which is uh, quite amazing. I think we'll see even more that emerge that have heretofore been uh, really un- undisclosed, and I think we're going to see a lot of these taking place. My optimism is is that the omnibus bill will be declared to be unconstitutional uh, based on the fact that the uh, 117th Congress cannot impose uh, limits on the 118th Congress. That is a, a constitutional position, uh, and what they've done with the omnibus bill is almost eliminate uh, the first full year of the House hmm. uh, new GOP majority uh, by, in fact, extending that to the latter part of 2023. So I think there's a good chance it may be ruled to be uh, unconstitutional. I certainly hope that's the case. There's there's too much nonsense in that, uh, particularly the creation of the funding for 87,000 new IRS agents, which uh, would just impose itself on, on, on American citizens in ways that we can't even imagine, Bob. Yeah, well, I... I... I certainly hope you're right. From your lips to God's ear, it would be great if it could get you to the Supreme Court and be ruled unconstitutional. I do have my doubts. Well, <laughs> I, I always have my doubts at this point. There used to be a point in my in my political uh, prognostication life where I was very comfortable with my, my sureties, but uh, that no longer exists, yeah, Bob. Yeah, I've yeah. been proven wrong so many times over the last five years that uh, uh, it's I, I refuse to be that, that firm in my position. I, w- I want to go back to uh, a comment that you made about the, the uh, GOP Congress coming in is going to be somewhat uh, uh, not effective in terms of looking into the, uh, these investigations in terms of the corruption of uh, past acts. And uh, what are your thoughts on Hunter Biden? Do you think he's actually going to be, uh, they're going to do a co- complete review of his criminal acts? I th- certainly think they should. I can't obli- imagine that we would uh, not pursue that. We may see that, but I guess I was suggesting before that we're not going to see those actions of Hunter Biden extend into the into the big man. Uh, I think we're ah. looking at a circumstance that uh, obviously should involve Joe Biden. Uh, I think they, if they do go after Hunter Biden in a uh, in a legal manner or at least an expose manner, uh, I don't think it will proceed as far as it should go. And the the Bobolinsky comments uh, with Tucker Carlson during his interviews indicated directly that that Joe Biden was was part of this triumvirate. Uh, Joe Biden, his brother, and and Hunter. Uh, so I don't think we'll see that happening, Bob, and I think they'll stop short of, of anything that directly involves the president or, if necessary, going back to some of the actions that may have been stimulated under the uh, administration of Obama. I don't think we'll, we'll see those kind of, of direct challenges. So, and what's happened right now is Tucker Carlson, of course, has revealed, he spoke out loud what's been a secret up to this point, but the fact that the CIA was uh, complicit in the assassination of JFK, RFK, perhaps Martin Luther King, and you can go through the list right now. And I think this is all a predicate for the illegality and legal and uh, uh, politicization of uh, the CIA and the FBI. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I think that's un- undoubtedly true. I don't think this, the FBI particularly, or and perhaps the CIA, but the FBI for sure, has ever been apolitical. I think uh, under uh, J. Edgar Hoover, it certainly was. They maintained dossiers on all major political figures in Washington and used them indiscriminately to leverage uh, the destinations they wanted. I think the FBI has always been political. Those that suggest this is a fairly recent phenomenon with, uh, uh, with um, uh, Mueller and, and uh, Comey and uh, Ray and so forth, I think they're wrong. I think the FBI has always been deeply involved in the politics of America. As far as the CIA, I think the refusal to uh, fully uh, re- release the, uh, the information uh, about the Kennedy assassination, uh, primarily re- removing, as best we can tell, the, uh, as it pertains to the CIA's involvement. Now, uh, it may not have been direct involvement. It may have just been a, uh, a working association with uh, Oswald at uh, the CIA would like to suppress without the CIA being directly involved with that assassination. But still, I think that uh, uh, the, the mere fact that this is being suppressed, I think, is, uh, is it perhaps unfair to the CIA, if I might, in the sense that maybe they weren't directly involved, but I think it raises serious suspicions that they were directly involved with the assassination of JFK. Well, uh, it's again, it's the predicate for perhaps investigations. It would be great. This kind of gets into the whole issue of uh, cleaning out cleaning house and getting rid of the uh deep state in in our federal government right now which is so it's so harmful to uh liberty here in the united states well i'm i'm hopeful that these committees will take a look at all this stuff and uh, perhaps take action or at least uh, uh, suggest action that could uh clean up the problems. Well, I certainly like to see that. I, I do not think the uh, the deep state is just something that influences our government. I think the deep state at this point is our government, Bob. Yeah. So I think the ability to seriously impact on the on the deep state is extremely limited. Um, I think there's uh, so much bureaucratic power being exercised within the uh, the federal bureaucracies that it's uh, it's extremely difficult to take them on directly. I, I hope it does happen. Certainly, I think if there's one thing that I would say would, would help America enormously, it would bring in that deep state under, under legal control, not under a conservative control, just under legal control, as it always should have been. Absolutely. Getting back to the, uh, the House situation, I'm also going to uh, project that Kevin McCarthy will not be named as Speaker of the House. I think it will go uh, eventually, within the first week or so of January. I think that Kevin McCarthy will fail to get his majority, and I think then immediately that will become Steve Scalise will become the Speaker of the House in 2023. Not Jim Jordan. Uh, so listen, I want, to, I want to take another break. Can you stick around? I have no place better to be, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics, they know the policy, and they prepare your elected officials to get major wins. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So I want to pick up on your thoughts on uh, the Speaker of the House uh, situation right now, and uh, maybe you could expand your thinking about uh, uh, McCarthy not being the guy. Well, I, that's just the information as, as I'm uh, seeing it. I, I know you alluded to, to Jim Jordan as being a, a possible uh, a good Speaker. Uh, I don't think he is as prominently being mentioned as Steve Scalise. Um, I think that the... Um, Perhaps the direction, I think Kevin McCarthy, to me, has been a little bit soft on, on some of the issues we've been previously discussing. I, I'd like to have seen Kevin McCarthy come out more strongly about the uh, aggressive actions towards the Ill- illegality. But if we can judge those public polls I alluded to before, most of those negative public polls are derived from the, at least the, the potential of these actions taking place. Yeah. Now, we can... Uh, take the polls with a grain of salt perhaps but i i think that will affect the the decisions being made being made in the house before we run out of time let me just uh, refer to uh, to donald trump's candidacy for for 2024 you bet um as you know i remain a a committed trump supporter uh, i had a, an essay i just published indicating he is our last clear chance he is a proven warrior. He is the only one that has directly taken on the deep state we referred to before and successfully battled it. Uh, now, if he had four more years, as he should have had in 2020, I think he could have had made a serious, a serious dent in that deep state. But what I'm hearing from my, from my audience, uh, and my audience is limited, as any individual's audience is, but I think it's probably more extensive than most people's, and I'm hearing a lot of former Trump supporters uh, backing away from Trump, moving towards DeSantis. I have not. I still think that Trump is our, is our most reliable person in the Oval Office in 2024, 
but I am hearing more and more from previous very devout Trump supporters uh, moving away from him. Uh, I think they're buying into a lot of the negativity that's been generated by the left. I, I think, in my estimation, we're going to see Merrick Garland, unfortunately, bring in criminal indictments against Trump. Hmm. I think that will further dampen the, uh, the, the Trump potential. I, I hope all of this is wrong. I think Trump is the person that should be our candidate in 2024. Uh, but at this point, I'm becoming uh, a, a bit more dubious than I, than I would have been, let's say, even a month ago, Bob. Uh, my point of view is that uh, right now we, we need a good, rigorous, and strenuous uh, uh, primaries and uh, debates. And uh, I, my thought is this will all sort out when we have candidates who are declaring, and I suspect Pompeo and others are going to want to uh, step up. Maybe uh, maybe DeSantis. I'm not sure about DeSantis, whether he wants to become president right now. But irrespective, whoever they are, and there are going to be a lot of candidates, uh, the, again, let's go through the entire process and let the best man or woman uh, emerge and win uh, the primary. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if these primary debates uh, do exactly that as compared to just... Uh for example, I think, uh, although, you know, I'm a Trump supporter again, but I thought his approaches uh, to the 16 candidates, the uh, competitive candidates in 2016, uh, really showed us nothing in terms of uh, their real value. It was it were personal ad hominem attacks, and I think sometimes these primar primaries uh, become nothing more than that. So I'm optimistic, uh, if I follow your line of thought, uh, and say that these will put the issues that are pertinent to America on the table. They'll be debated by serious thinkers in the Republican Party. I am just not convinced that that is what the primaries will do, Bob. All right. Well, of course, uh, Trump actually was he's one of those ones that led the ad hominem attacks during the debates uh, last time. My hope is that he won't this time. My hope is he'll talk about the issues which would, I think, be healthy, healthy not only for the electoral election process, but also for his candidacy and for the American public. Yeah, and you, you alluded to the, the unknown destination of DeSantis, and I, I previously had uh, expressed my view that I do not think DeSantis will, uh, will seek the, the nomination in 2024. I, I don't think it's to his personal political advantage. Uh, as I've, I've indicated, he has a young family. Uh, I think he has to give them four more years to mature a little bit. Uh, and his wife to make sure everything is all right at her end of the of the relationship. Uh, so I, I don't see him even at this point entering the contest. And if it's not DeSantis, I think we're looking at, you alluded to Pompeo uh, Hutchinson uh, in, in, in Arizona, uh, the, the governor of, um, of Maryland. I can't, his name isn't coming to me now. But there are Hogan. serious candidates, I think, beyond Pompeo, uh, and certainly, uh, if DeSantis gets in, he's a serious candidate, Bob. Absolutely. Andrew Jopp, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, off topic for today's discussion, but a terrific read. Again, uh, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good New Year, Bob. You as well. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got terrific guests for tomorrow, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. Also want to welcome aboard a, a new advertiser, it is uh, International Health Travel. It's called uh, internationalhealthplans.com is the website. Uh, they'll be starting on Monday in any event. Uh, just very, uh, you know, if you're traveling abroad, 
That's one of the real areas of weakness for many people is just not having insurance to cover them if they become sick or hurt. So uh, this is a, a way that you can do that for as little as $1.25 a day. Anyhow, just really pleased to have international health plans aboard uh, as an advertiser. Hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>